Well, Lord, we want to thank you for this word because it is good and it is right and it is absolutely the best. So, Jesus, would you speak to us now? Lord, open our hearts and our minds to what you want to say. We are listening. And so we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, good evening. I want to say hello to those of you who are watching online as well. Have a little uh, clip we want to show you. Give me your torch. like that, right? I got your back. I'm right behind you. Very nice. That plays much better in the dark. I like that. We've been playing that all day. That shows up pretty good. Well, that sets up our story that uh, Scott read today because uh, tonight because we're going to be talking a little bit about snakes. And the story that uh, Scott read, the Israelites were p- complaining against God that uh, God had brought them out of Egypt. Because living that slave life back in Egypt under, under the constant threat of you better make the brick cl- uh, quota or we are gonna, we're going to beat you up, that slave life was just so much better than freedom in the desert. But the Israelites, they were sick and tired of this fresh bread from heaven that had been arriving, which tasted like honey, and they wanted meat, and they wanted water. Doesn't your heart just really go out to them there in the desert, you know? Well, the people weren't just complaining, because the meaning of this word in the original language is that uh, they were actually uh, threatening Moses. They are sort of planning this mini-rebellion. So God hears this and sends poisonous snakes. A bunch of people get bit, and several of them die. Well, then that sort of puts an end to the rebellion in a hurry. And the people realize that maybe this isn't such a good thing after all. So they cry out to Moses, asking Moses to pray for their rescue. So Moses prays to God. God answers the prayer and tells Moses this thing about putting a snake on a pole, raising it up so that anybody who got bit by a snake would just look at the bronze snake on the top of the pole and they would be healed which seems a little odd, don't you think? Why didn't God just like get rid of the snakes? Problem solved. That's how I would have taken care of it. But he didn't. Instead, what he did was to provide the cure for the poison, which really is the point of the story. God doesn't take away the snakes. He provides the cure for the poison. So fast forward then ahead to Jesus now talking in John chapter 3. And he references this story of Moses lifting up the snake in the desert. And then he uses that story as a metaphor for what he was about to do for us on the cross to heal us from the poisonous effects of sin in our lives. See, Jesus' point is that sin poisons us. It poisons our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It poisons our relationship with the world around us. It poisons our relationships with one another. 
And there are some reasons why God just doesn't take sin out of the world. I mean, that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? But God doesn't take sin out of the world for one reason, because we live in a broken world, a fallen world. And if God, when God takes sin out of the world, He also is going to restore the whole world. But also, another reason is the fact that God has given us free will. And that, will, that freedom is a, is a gift to us. But we have the freedom to choose to do not such great things. We have the freedom to, to sin. Now, God doesn't get rid of the sin. He will someday. But instead, what God has done is sent the only one who can cure us of the poisonous effects of sin. And his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus came for the healing of us all. And there is no other religious figure in all of history that does that. This is the last sermon in a series that we've been going through over the last several weeks called That's in the Bible. And you've been really good. You've put up with some really crazy stories in the Bible as we've been kind of going through this, like this one. And the shocking and sort of radical message of this particular story, and as Jesus talks about it in John chapter 3, is that God's love is universal. And His offer of salvation is for everyone, everywhere, every person, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. But the only ones who can be sure that they received God's offer are the ones who put their faith specifically in Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Now, in a culture that values diversity and religious pluralism, that can sound pretty arrogant, can it? And pretty narrow-minded. And in fact, there are a number of Christians who are arrogant, narrow-minded, and fairly judgmental about the way other people are living their lives. I'm talking about other Christians, you know, people who aren't in this realm, like and people who aren't watching line. These are other people elsewhere that can be that way. But the truth is that Jesus really is unique, that there is something very distinctive about Jesus and way different than any other religious figure in all of history. Jesus himself claimed to be that way. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He said, as you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are some pretty bold claims. Now, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he writes this. He says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You see, Jesus can't be a great moral teacher. We can't reduce him to a great moral teacher or a prophet and think at the same time that he must be really confused about his identity. Either Jesus, uh, uh, either Jesus is, as he claimed to be, the Son of God who launched God's, God's rescue mission and sort of free, uh, takes away the sin of the world. Either Jesus is that, or, or he's a crazy guy. There is no middle ground with Jesus. He didn't give us that option. Now, John 3.16 uh, has often been called the Bible in one verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, 
that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that verse has all the good stuff in it. It's got love and sacrifice, sin, rescue, faith. But there's no middle ground in that verse, is there? In that, in that, in that verse. There's no middle ground. Now, growing up, I used to see this guy with this sign that said John 3.16. And that guy was everywhere. I mean, I, I could see him. He'd be at the Super Bowl. He'd be at World Series. At the World Series, he'd be hockey playoffs. I can even remember going to rock concerts. And, and there was that guy. And I always wondered, where did he get those great seats? How did he get... No way! No way! <laughs> there he is! I can't believe it! God, that guy, he's everywhere. <laughs> Give me a hand. All right. <laughs> That's the John 3.16 guy. I can't believe it. I was talking to somebody earlier, apparently, and uh, somebody, as they were talking John 3.16 in a business, somebody said, was that a sports passage or something? Because the guy's always at all the sporting events. Well, thank you. What makes Jesus so unique? What makes him way different than the other religious figures throughout history? There are three things that I want to share tonight that come out of this passage. And the first one is this, that only Jesus takes away our sin. Our, uh, God loves this world that he created. He created it good, but that goodness was absolutely conditional upon our ability to be completely obedient to God, to surrender to God, to let him have control over our lives. It only took that first generation of human beings to mess all that up so that as a result, sin entered God's good world and made it not so good. So there is a lot that breaks God's heart these days about this world. Domestic violence, murder, human trafficking, corporate greed, bullying, those things break God's heart. But so also does everything at a personal level that we struggle with, which causes those things. Selfishness and lust, anger, rage, slander, lying or misleading others for our own benefit. God gave us this amazing free will. And with that freedom, we can choose to sin if we will. And we do. Now, sin is one of those words that we don't like talking much about. Not a very attractive word these days. But it's the reason for the mess that we are in. Look around you. Go ahead. You look around, look at the people around you. That person sitting next to you is a mess. But be careful, because guess who they're looking at? We're all a mess. We're a mess. So John 3.16 tells us that God sent His one and only Son. God so loved the world. His motivation was love, seeing the mess that we are in. God didn't just sit in heaven, kind of twiddling His thumbs, feeling all helpless about stuff. God sent His one and only Son, who was fully God, and He was fully human. Now, as God, Jesus never sinned. That means that He didn't cheat anyone. He never talked badly about anyone behind their back. He never went out and sort of picked a fight with somebody. And because Jesus was perfect and without sin, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But there's more. Because Jesus was also human, which means that he was able to stand in our place as our substitute. He took all of our sin on himself. He bore the full punishment 
for our sin. He paid the price. He, took, he paid the death that we owe because of our sin. And because Jesus was perfect, a perfect sacrifice for our sin, and because Jesus was our substitute stepping in for us, our sin problem has been totally cured. He took away our sin on that cross. Our sin problem is finished. It's done. Totally gone. We're forgiven. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. Because it's all been paid for. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus takes away our sin. And there is no one else, no other religious figure that can do that for us. That's the first thing that makes Jesus so different. That he takes away our sin. The second thing that makes Jesus way different is that only Jesus knows how to help us. Now the scriptures say that God sent his son to this earth. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity of God, came to this earth and was born to an unwed mother in a stable in a country that was under foreign occupation. Jesus came as one of us, fully human. He cried, skinned his knee, got sunburned when he stayed out in the sun too long, stubbed his toe and bled. Jesus experienced suffering, temptation, abandonment. He experienced torture and even death. So the point is that Jesus doesn't need to get on the phone to Angel Gabriel and sort of call together the big angel cabinet to figure out what is life like there on earth for all those people. Because Jesus already knows. He already experienced the real stuff that you and I go through. Real hardship, real heartbreak, real friendships. He was part of a real family. And because he did, because he experienced it all, because he knows what this life is like so intimately, Jesus knows what we need when we need it the most. Now, when I was in my last year at Fuller Seminary, I was finishing up this internship at a church in Southern California. They had a job opening for a new pastor, and uh, I thought I was their guy. But turns out they didn't see it that way, and they offered the job to someone else, which was totally devastating. It was really rocked my world. So with just a few months to go before graduation, here's what I had. I had a one-year-old daughter, I had my wife supporting us, I had no job, and I had no plan. So how do you like me now, honey? <laughs> well, one of the pastors at that church uh, gave me a call and invited my wife and I over for dinner. Turned out he and his wife had been through some similar situations like that. And uh, as we were there, he and his wife kind of shared some of the things that they did which had really helped them make, through, make it through those times. And then they prayed for us, which encouraged us. Well, a few days later, that same pastor gave me a call to tell me that uh, he had a friend that wanted to take us out to lunch. And this friend had been senior pastor at a church in Seattle, a church called University Presbyterian Church. And uh, his wife was on the faculty at Fuller Seminary. She was in the psychology department. So we went to lunch with them. And as we had this conversation with them, they helped us start to see that what we were going through wasn't this devastating, depressing dead end, but that Jesus could possibly work through this situation and that we needed to look at it that way, that maybe 
maybe God had something better for us. Well, as we started, as we had that conversation, my wife and I began to realize that God was putting these people in our lives to encourage us, mentors and sort of guides to sort of direct us and, and help us through this time. And this couple, as we were at lunch, they told us, uh, strongly encouraged us to think about Seattle, like maybe we ought to come up here, which I have to be honest, being from Southern California at the time, wasn't even on my radar screen. No Seattle. Well, the next day, I stopped by the job placement board at Fuller Seminary, and I found this church in Mill Creek, Washington, which is about a half hour from here, and they were looking for an associate pastor. I wouldn't even have looked at that placement card hadn't it been for that lunch that we'd been at. Well, the short story is that I sent in my resume. I got an interview over the phone. They had us to the church for a weekend. Uh, we interviewed there, and then they gave me the job. It happened all really fast. My wife and I had been so discouraged. We were so beat down and beat up and uh, just in a really desperate place. But Jesus provided these really great people who gave us hope, who encouraged us, people who knew exactly what to say. And then Jesus used them to point us to this church in Mill Creek, Washington, and that turned out to be exactly the right job for us at that time in our lives. Jesus knew. He knew the right people to send to us. He knew the right experiences that would be best for us. He knew exactly what we needed when we needed it the most. So let me ask you tonight, what is it that you need in your life right now that Jesus could help you out with? What situation are you experiencing right now where it feels like a dead end, like you've just run into something, bam, and maybe, maybe Jesus could, could sort of, you know, be working in this situation that, that there might be something more, maybe something better, that Jesus might be able to use this situation and work in this situation. Only Jesus takes away our sin, and only Jesus really knows how to help us because Jesus became one of us. Well, the third reason I believe Jesus is way different than all the other religious figures in history comes from this passage is Jesus makes everything new. You see, Jesus wasn't just some spiritual guide who came to show us how to make this world a better place. And He wasn't just some exp ex uh, sort of supreme example of the kind of life that we should live here on earth. See, the world needs more than that. We need more than guides and examples who will just show us how to do good things in a broken world. What we need is someone who can triumph over what is broken and make it good. We need more than someone who can tell us what has gone wrong. What we need is someone who will transform what has gone wrong and make it good. That is exactly what Jesus does. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was continually pushing back darkness and evil and the things that were broken in the world around him. That's what was going on when he was healing the blind and giving, uh, giving sight to the blind, healing the lame, where he was setting free the spiritual guilty, where he was raising the dead. Jesus was pushing stuff back. And he started this movement that he called the kingdom of God here on earth. And then he told his followers that they would do even greater things than what Jesus was doing. They would push back on darkness even more than he would. And only 
when we begin to realize just how big and how massive, how powerful that mission of Jesus was and is today, it's only then that we begin to see just how unique Jesus is, how amazing Jesus is. Jesus came to do more than die on a cross for our sins and improve our lives. He does that, but it's so much more than that. Jesus came to make right what has gone wrong in this world. And in Jesus, God makes everything new. Now, several weeks ago, I received an email from a woman whose daughter attends George Fox University. And uh, they'd been to our church a few times. She was writing to say that her daughter had just been finishing up a, a one-month internship in Rwanda. And guess where she served? At the Center for Champions. Kind of a coincidence there. Well, interesting. So uh, the daughter had, uh, was at the center. It took her a while to figure out that ours was the church that had partnered with AEE Rwanda to build the center. And so uh, the mother in her email was writing in big, bold letters at the bottom of the email, glory be to God. She was kind of excited about it all. Well, her daughter kept a blog going while she was in Rwanda. And I want to just read a sort of uh, one of her entries. It happened about halfway into her time there. She wrote this. She said, It's been two weeks since I first walked in the gates of the Center for Champions, and I wish time would pass much more slowly. I feel like I have lost my heart to this place, and I don't care if that sounds super cheeseball. Just getting to know the students here, knowing some of their stories, seeing the joys and the trials of their lives, it's heart-wrenching and heartwarming at the same time. I see some of the ways God has worked here, changing the street kid mentality that many of them have. <clears throat> many of these young men and women come from situations of extreme poverty, and at the center, they receive a new opportunity to study and eat and live and actually have a childhood. They're like a band of brothers, like the merry men from Robin Hood. They stick together and look out for each other, and they are realizing that they have a purpose here on this earth. They're beginning to see that they are all extremely valuable, and that is the basic mission of the Center of Champions, giving students a sense of worth through, through education, through spiritual counseling and guidance, and simple loving care. Their lives are being changed. Jesus sounds a lot like Jesus in that place because he's taking these students, these children of the street, and he's making them children of the living God. He's giving these kids a new hope, a new purpose, a new future. Kids who only knew extreme poverty. But that's not all that Jesus is doing over there. It turns out, Jesus is transforming this young woman who's at George Fox University. And you know this experience has changed her life for the rest of her life. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus forgive, takes away our sin. Only Jesus makes everything uh, uh, new. And only Jesus can help us. No other figure has been as influential before Jesus or after Jesus. Human history is divided by his birth in the Western world. And now, nearly 2,000 years later, there are approximately 2 billion people who claim to follow him. Jesus wasn't the founder of a new religion or some great inspirational leader. Those first Christians would have never thought of him that way. He was the object of their faith. 
He was the one they worshipped and adored. And they committed their lives to him and to, committing his mi- and to continuing his mission here on this earth, even to the point of losing their lives. Whoever you are tonight, wherever you're at, whatever you are going through, Jesus has come for you. Jesus said in the scriptures, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let him in? Will you let him into your life? Will you trust Him and follow Him? Will you let Him in this one God who gave His life for you? Only Jesus can take away our sin. Only Jesus can truly help us. Only Jesus can make everything new. But only you can decide if you want that in your life or not. So what I'm going to do is a little bit um, different than the way we end a, a sermon. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to move into a time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to, to bow as you feel led, to close your eyes. Because I, I just like to give you some time. Maybe tonight as uh, we were singing, or maybe tonight during the prayer, or maybe during the Scripture, maybe uh, as you were hearing this message, that maybe Jesus was sort of nudging your heart. Maybe He was nudging your heart, and you're at a place where you just like to say yes to Him. Maybe you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord and the, and the Savior of your life, sort of your leader and forgiver. Maybe you've never done that. And maybe you'd like to do that tonight. Or maybe, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for quite a long time and, and you just feel like that intimacy that you once had with God, it's not there anymore. And you'd like to say yes to Jesus tonight to restore that intimacy and to get His help in your life. So maybe, maybe God is prodding you a little bit. Maybe Jesus is prodding your heart. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you just to, to bow your head, to close your eyes. I'm going to pray. And you are, you're free to repeat after me out loud in your own heart. You can use your own words. And um, if this isn't connecting with you at all, pray for, for the people who you know that don't yet know Jesus. People maybe even in this room who are, who are just searching and wondering. So would you, uh, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, You are a mighty Savior. And I thank You that You have paid the price for my sin on the cross. I thank You that You came here to this earth for me that you can help me right here, right now. Jesus, I'm sorry for all the things I have done that have kept me from you. Things that have separated me from you and from the Father. So Jesus, I need your love. I need your forgiveness. Jesus, I ask you to come flooding into my life. I ask you to fill my heart, fill my mind. I surrender to you tonight, Jesus. Would you take control of my life? Would you lead me? Jesus, I thank you that as I pray this prayer, you hear me. Jesus, would you help me to follow you? And I pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Now, if you prayed that prayer, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. After the service, there'll be a few of us up here. We would love to know that you prayed that prayer. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, we'd love to help you take the next step. And I just encourage you to do that. You, um, you won't regret it. You'll be glad you did.